Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. Genesis chapter 21. So the question arises, why on Rosh Hashanah are we teaching on Genesis chapter 21? And why on Genesis chapter 22? First of all, the first day of Rosh Hashanah throughout the world, the Torah reading is Genesis 21. And on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, the Torah reading throughout the world is Genesis chapter 22. So what in the world does Genesis 21 have to do with Rosh Hashanah? And what does Genesis chapter 22 have to do with Rosh Hashanah? Well, we know because we studied last week the 10 testings of Abraham, and we know that actually Genesis 22 was a Rosh Hashanah. It was a Rosh Hashanah. And as a matter of fact, um, as we saw last week in the 10 tests of Abraham, in verse 13, the ram's horn, that was in the bush. The reason why the ram's horn is used on Rosh Hashanah is in memory of the promise that God made to Abraham concerning his descendants. And the promise is that your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. So on Rosh Hashanah, when that shofar blows, that is your go-ahead from God to receive uh, dominion because God has promised possession over the oppression of the wicked one. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. All right. So tonight, why the patriarchs and matriarchs? All right, we're going to go a little bit deeper tonight. Remember, last week we told you that the thesis of Paul Paul's, the Pauline theology, Paul's thesis for the Gentiles to come into the promises of God is not through the law. It is through the patriarchs. And I want you to understand the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's look at these scriptures really quickly. I have to give it to you for a foundation so that you will understand tonight. We're going to be sharing with you the secret of Sarah. And it is so important that we understand who Sarah was. So notice we see here, and the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time but in which God had spoken unto him. All right, before we begin, why are the patriarchs so important? Let us go just for a moment to understand Paul's theology. Paul sets a theology for us in the book of Romans, Romans chapter four. I want us to see this so that we can understand the patriarchs and who they are and why they are so incredibly special and how they formed the nation of Israel. They are the founders of the nation of Israel. Say this with me, the patriarchs and matriarchs are the founders of the nation of Israel. Okay, so Romans chapter four, verse 16, really quickly, and I'm going to ask uh, Prophet Philip to go ahead and read that for us. I want you to see this um, in uh, verse 16 and verse 17. Go ahead. Therefore it is a faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, 
not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Say this with me. Abraham, Abraham. who is the father, is the father. Of, us all. of us all. Okay, so Paul was not speaking, he was not speaking to unbelievers. He is speaking to the church, the Roman church. All right, uh, all the believers in, in the church at Rome, okay? Now, those of you who have read the book of Romans, and hopefully everyone in this place has, understands that there is a thesis that is being presented, a rabbinic argument that is being presented. And we must understand that his argument is that the Gentiles cannot in any way um, enter um, the promises of God through the law. We know that. But notice our entrance into the promises that God gave to Israel is through faith, like the faith of Abraham, and through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Are you with me? Notice he is saying, Abraham, who is the father of us all? For the sake of those that are new and have never studied Torah before, the avot, say it with me, the avot. The avot. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, so we understand that David is not a father. We understand that Joseph is not a father. We understand that Solomon is not one of the fathers. All right, we understand that even Noah was not one of the fathers. No, the three fathers of the nation that form the nation are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This means that all of the testings that they went through in their lives, because their life was one continuous test, the reward for those tests was laid up for their descendants. That is what we're speaking about. So when we speak about the promises that God gave to Abraham, these are the rewards that God gave the three patriarchs for going through their tests and coming out impeccable in their testing. Say this with me. I want to pass the test also. Somebody should give God the praise and say, I'm ready to pass the test. All right. All right. Let us look at the next verse. Prophet Philip, go ahead. We need to kind of speed through it, but I need to give this foundation. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those, as they, those things which be not as though they were. Okay, let us look at another evidence of uh, Paul, uh, Paul giving to us concerning uh, Abraham. Let us look, please. Let us go to uh, Romans chapter 9, and we are going to look at verses 1 through 5. Now, I want to, first of all, before you look at verse 5, this is only our foundation. This is not our teaching tonight. This is our evidence. Say it with me. We're presenting the evidence. We're presenting, We're presenting the foundation. Okay, we're setting the evidence and the foundation to prove Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that the Gentiles enter into the promises of Israel, not through the law, but through faith and through the fathers, through the forefathers. Are you with me? All right, let us look here. One, two, three, and I'm going to ask uh, Prophet Philip to read, but the portion I want to show you is the portion that uh, Paul is presenting uh, he is speaking about all the blessings that were entrusted to the nation of Israel, including the fathers themselves. Look at the text. Go ahead. One I, through five. Yes. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, 
that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brother, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaining the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the hearing of the law and the service of God and the promises. Whose are the fathers? Whose are the fathers? Notice, whose are the fathers? Meaning, whose are the avot? Set with me. Whose are the avot? Notice what level he places the avot on. Promises, covenants, major foundations in the formation of the nation. Do you see that? Yes. How many of you see that? Okay, continue. Just to verse 5. Whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is overall? Okay, now we're going to look just really quickly at Romans 11. And I want us to see Romans 11. We're going to look at verse 25, and then we're going to look at verse 28. I want you to see why Israel is beloved. Israel is beloved for the Father's sake. Say it with me. Israel is beloved for the Father's sake. Okay, for the Father's, meaning for the avot's sake. Say it. Okay, when you hear a, a saying in the Bible, for example, for my servant David's sake, all right, or for Abraham's sake, or when you hear that word sake, for their sake, this means in the merit of. Can you say that with me? In the merit of. In the merit of ha, is, is zahut avot, say Say it again, zahut avot. Zahut avot means in the merit of the fathers. Okay, so that means the inheritance that is being given to their descendants is in their merit. So when you see for their father's sake or for the father's sake, it means all of these things are happening in their merit. What does it mean in their merit? Somebody want to tell me? What does it mean in the merit of? Somebody want to tell me? Just real quick. Yes, Ronit. In, in their honor. In their honor. Okay, very good. What else? Yes. In the covenant, yes. Somebody else? Okay, yes, Pastor Bonzi. In the recognition of their works and their character traits. Say it with me, in the recognition, in the recognition of, their works of their works and their character traits. Their character traits. Okay, that's the secret. Say little secrets, little secrets. Big, success. big success, character traits. Character traits. Little, secrets. little secrets, big success, big success. Character, traits. character traits. Okay, so go ahead. 1 and 28. I mean, 25 and 28, forgive me. <laughs> For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened in Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Verse 28. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are the beloved. See, for the Father's sake, for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are beloved. That God loved Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, so we're not even called, we're not only including the avot, 
but we are also including the imahot. Say it with me, the mothers and the fathers. Seven. Okay, the imahot are Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel. Say it again. Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel. Say it again. Excellent. Okay. Now, go with me to Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. I'm not going to make this a course, so I'm just going to stop here, but I want to give you this evidence so that you understand Paul's theology. Okay, going with me to Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. One, two, three, go, everyone. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written... Okay, stop right there. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Say it with me. That the blessing, the promise, all the zahut, all the inheritance that they went through, that all, all of their testings and all of the merit might also come on the Gentiles through Christ. Are you with me? Okay. So when we think of what, what of the biblical feasts do we see Sarah and Abraham the most? It's Rosh Hashanah. Okay, this is why the first day of Rosh Hashanah is what I'm going to read to you now. And the second day of Rosh Hashanah is the 10 tests of Abraham as we went through the Akita, the binding of Isaac, and the promise that God made, the oath that he swore to his descendants, your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. Say it with me. I receive that right now. I will possess the gates of my enemies. Somebody should give God praise and give God glory. Okay. Now, um, let us go to Genesis chapter 21. All right, we are going to look at Genesis 21, and we are going to look at verses 1 and 2. Now, I want you to see this very carefully, because we are going to be speaking to you about one of the most important women in the entire world that was ever born, and that is Sarah. All right? And she is the mother of the whole nation of Israel. All right, let us look. Verse 21, chapter 21, verse 1. I'm going to go ahead and ask Prophet Philip to read verses 1 and 2. The Lord did to Sarah as he had said. The Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age. After set time of which God had spoken. Okay. So let us look right now. We're going to make an evaluation. First of all, we know that the set time, let's look at this word set time. The Bible says, for Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time. What is this word, set time? Okay, I'm going to ask that we can use the Masoretic text. We're going to the Masoretic text for a moment. We're going to see this word in Hebrew. All right, we want you to see this word set time, say this word moed. Okay. okay, so the Moed is the feast. 
It is the word for the feast. Looking here, clicking on it, verse two, set time, 4150. Just a little bit back. There we go. Okay, Moed, notice what it says. Everyone read it. One, two, three, go. Okay, right here. Okay, yes. Okay, notice festival specifically. That's a feast at the set time. Say it with me. The set time. So the visitation came during the feast, the feast of God, okay? So the visitation, God answered her. God performed his promise, the literal shot on the verse. What does shot mean? Somebody tell me what a shot. Yes, my dear brother. Excellent. The first level of biblical interpretation. So when we're studying Torah, we understand that the basic shot, which is the foundation, the foundational meaning is that it is a moed. It is just a season. All right. In other words, it's a biblical feast, but let's go further. All right. Let's look at this and let's um, make an exegesis out of it. First of all, I want you to see, dear people of God, that the scripture is telling us that the Lord visited Sarah. Somebody want to tell me what you think that means? Remember, what is Rosh Hashanah? Tell me the three days, the three particular identities of Rosh Hashanah. Somebody want to tell me? What are the three identities of Raquel? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, beautiful. The, excellent. Okay, what are the three, which you might say, characteristics? No. Say, Malkiot. No. Say it, Malkiot. Malkiot, Zikronot. And Shofarot. Okay, Malkiot is kingdom. Okay, and we know that during Rosh Hashanah, we see the kingdom of God. Malkut Shemayim, say it. Okay, that's Malkiot. And then we see Shofarot, say it. That's the Shofar. Okay, and Zikronot, a day of remembrance. Okay, so God is going to remember. All right, so now the Bible says the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. What do you think? this word visited means. Somebody want to tell me? Yes, Michael. Pardon me? Okay, she had a dream. Good. Pastor Bonzi? He remembered her. Excellent. Yes? Okay, yes. She's going to conceive Isaac. Yes, she's conceiving Isaac on Rosh Hashanah. That's what the text is teaching us. What else? He kept his promise. So we're seeing number one, the perform on a shot level, not on a deep level, on the basic level, on the elementary level. On the elementary level, just looking at the shot of the verse without making any investigation, we are understanding what? We are understanding that um, the text is teaching us that the performance of promise by God for Sarah was accomplished on Rosh Hashanah at the set time.
See that? Yes. Say this with me. The performance, the performance of, the promise of the promise that she had waited for, she had waited for. Was, accomplished was accomplished on Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah. Okay, that's the basic shot. That's the purpose. All right, so the scripture is showing us. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son at the set time, Moed, meaning biblical feast, at the time God had spoken. But now we need to see this word visited. The Lord visited Sarah. The word that is used here is not the word in Hebrew that we would imagine it to be. We would say God met with her, wouldn't we? When we say God appeared to her, wouldn't that be just more like, because we see God constantly appearing to Abraham. We see that God appeared to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. God appeared to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. We see all throughout the journeys of Abraham, the Lord is appearing to him. So wouldn't it seem like God would be appearing to Sarah as well? All right, so wouldn't you expect visitation to be some kind of an encounter with God? How many of you think that that's what it means? But the reality of the matter is the Torah is going to be using a very peculiar word. And that is the word pakad. Say with me, pakad. Pakad is basically used to count or make an assessment. All right, let me give you an example very quickly. Let's just use Torah for a moment. Go with me to Exodus chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 38, looking at verse 21, just as quickly as possible. I'm going to show you Pakad. Okay, do you want to see Pakad? Yes. Okay, do you want to see the concept? Yes. Remember, every Hebrew word has a what? Every Hebrew word has a concept behind it. So that means in English, we don't have concepts. Uh, like, for example, that oxygen tank, it's not a concept. It's just a, it's just a thing. Okay, this chair does not have a concept. Her sunglasses do not have a concept. Okay, her glasses are beautiful ambassador to the UN. Your, um, your, your glasses do not have a concept. All right, do you all understand? But every Hebrew word has a concept behind it, and the concept is found in what? How is the concept discovered? Go ahead. In the three-letter root of the Hebrew word. So every single Hebrew word, even if it's a noun, has a three-letter root in it that gives us the concept, which is an action word. Because Hebrew is a language of action. Okay? It's totally different from English. Do you all understand? All right, so let's go to verse 21. Let us look at this. Notice, here's Pakad. This is the sum of the tabernacle, even the tabernacle of the testimony, as it was counted. Do you see that? Yes. So in your assessment, what does Pakad mean? Go ahead and tell me what Pakad means to you, Rev Kev. Uh, Okay, excellent. To take an accounting of. Okay, I'm going to show you various uses of the word pakad. Okay, because pakad is used in many different ways. Number one, pakad would mean, pakad would mean to, number one, it would mean to have the oversight. Hmm. 
It would mean to call an account, to call an account, to take an account of something. It would also mean to put a charge. It would also mean um, related concepts. Let me give you some related concepts. Number one, in the Torah, a pakad is used as an overseer seven times. The concept of pakad as numbering is used 13 times. Um, the word mostly used in the Torah for pakad is to appoint or appointed. To appoint is used 12 times, and appointed is used 19 times in the Torah. So to appoint, to make an overseer, to put in charge, to count, to number. Hmm, does that make sense? What does that have to do with visiting? Put your Torah caps on. What does that have to do with visiting? It means that God is showing us he made an assessment. He counted. He counted all of the tests. He made an assessment and appointed her as a result of her test. Because in the Bible, we never see a person that gets a free pass to destiny. There is no such thing as getting a free pass to destiny. Say it with me. I cannot get a free pass to destiny. Promises are possessed by passing the test. You didn't hear me. I said promises are possessed by passing the test. Come on, one, two, three. Promises are possessed by passing the test. Promises are possessed by passing the test. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, did you pass the test? Say, by the grace of God, I'm going to pass the test. On Rosh Hashanah, my destiny is going to open. God is going to remember me. Somebody ought to shout the victory and give God the praise. Are you hearing this, saints? Remember, Every person who ascends to greatness in the Bible, there is a resume. No free pass. Say with me, no free pass. Not even if you're Sarah. You don't get a free pass because you're Abraham's wife. Does not happen. You don't get a free pass because you're Isaac. You have to go through the test. Hello, I said you have to go through the test. Say, that's why Elul, this month, the search, I need to ask God to help me pass the test. All right. All right. So now what we are going to do is I want us to see, okay, well, where is the Torah going to qualify her? Okay. What are some of the tests of Sarah? I'm going to show you tonight how the Torah is going to describe Sarah and how important it is. So let us go, beloved saints, to Genesis chapter 12, and we are going to look at Parsha Leklaka. Say it with me, Parsha Leklaka. What does Leklaka mean? 
Go to yourself. How many of you want to meet your real you? Yes. Say, I will never know my real self till I pass the test. Okay, because the self you are now is not the self who you are going to be that God is making you. Okay, you are on a journey to become what God has ordained you to become. So the self you know now is not the self who you are going to become in God. Do you understand that? All right, you never go backwards, you always go forward. All right, now I'm going to share with you, in case you weren't here last week, the word for test in Hebrew, okay? Look at Genesis 22, verse 1, just for a moment. I want you to see there are two words for test, bikina, where we get the word bakan, when David said, examine me, O Lord, okay? But this word that is used here, Genesis 22, verse 1, and it came to pass after these things that God did what? Tempt, it's actually test. That God did test Abraham. Say it with me, nasion. Say it again, nasion. God did test Abraham. This is the 10th test. This is the 10th test. All right, this word nasion, we learn what it is. We learn how we, what the actual purpose of a test is when we look at this word. Number one, we see the word nasa in the word nasion. Say it with me, nasa. nasa. What does nasa mean? Somebody want to take a, chan uh, take a shot at it? What's the shot on nasa? Uh, to try, to, um, to examine, to, to stretch. Okay, nasion, definitely, definitely. But there is, we're going to look at the concepts now. We're going to look at the word in the words, okay? We're looking at the root, which I will show you in a moment. That's the concept. But we also have other words in the word. One of the word is nasa. Say nasa. What does that mean? Somebody? Yes, Cynthia? Lift up, elevate. Banner, okay. NASA, the rockets, right? NASA. That's a Hebrew word. That's what it means. It means to elevate. So every time you go through a trial, the purpose of it is to elevate you. It's not to destroy you, it's to elevate you. Somebody ought to say, I'm getting ready to get elevated because I've been through some stuff. Hello, somebody. I said, I'm getting ready to be elevated. Okay? So the purpose of your nation is to elevate. Second purpose of your nation, not only to elevate nasa, but we also see this word nasia. Say it with me, nasia. Nasia in Hebrew means to go forward. Say this with me, my test will not be a setback. It will only be causing me to go forward. So my test is designed to push me ahead. Not to set back success, but to push me ahead. Are you with me? If you're going through a God-given designated test, that means you're going to only go forward, not go backward. Yeah. 
this with me. The secret is in the word. The secret is in the word. I've got God's guarantee. I've got God's guarantee. Okay. One more. One more word. This is the root of Nasion. Okay, the root of Nasion is this word ness. Say it with me, ness. Say ness. Okay. Do you remember the month of Nisan? Yes. What does that mean? Miracles. miracles. Ness is the singular. There is a miracle in your test. God wants you to know that he has already given you a God-given miracle by the name test. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Are you hearing this, saints? Okay, now. We're going to look at this. We're going to go back to Sarah. Going back to Genesis chapter 12, Parsha Leklaka. All right. Let's look at the beginning of Parsha Leklaka. And we are going to look at the scripture. All right. Would you read the beginning of Parsha Leklaka? And go ahead and read the blessing that God is giving Abraham as a result of this test. Go ahead. Now the Lord has said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Okay, now, first we're looking. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Lech Laka, out of your country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Okay, this word, get thee out, is the words in Hebrew, Lech Laka. Say it. Lech Laka. God is saying, notice, get thee out of thy country, the kin and thy father's house. Very strong testing. This is not something easy. This is, not, this is impossible. How can you leave your family? Leave all, everyone you know. 3,000 years ago. Abraham was born. This is reality. Abraham was born in the year 1948 from creation. The nation of Israel became a nation again in 1948. So 1948, from the time of creation, Abraham was born. And in 1948 AD, thousands of years later, Israel became a nation again. Hello, I said, God, God plans everything meticulous. Are you with me? 1948 from creation. And thousands of years later, the land he promised his descendants become a nation again in 1948. Okay. Thousands of years ago, which seems like yesterday because one day is as a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is as one day when you're in the word, that's how it is. It's as if it happened yesterday. It's as if you know Abraham and Sarah because you read everything. And the Spirit of God shows you, and you become so one with the Word that it becomes part of your life. All right? All right. So here we see, beloved saints, 
Liklikog, get thee out. Now, what we see is happening, we're not going to go into this because we taught this last week. This is the blessing. God is saying, I will make of you a great nation and I will make your name great. Why is God saying I'm going to make your name great? Because first of all, let's go back to the, the um, let's look just for a moment to see the antithesis of this found in Genesis 11. The tower builders. Set with me, the tower builders. The tower builders. Hmm. The, tower builders. the evil of Babylon, Nimrod, idolatry, and the Tower of Babel. This is not written so you know it happened. Set with me. The Bible is not written so I know it happened. Everything in the Bible teaches me. So when I read a narrative, I'm not reading a newspaper. Okay, so here we go. And the whole earth was one language and of one speech. Verse 2, and it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, they found the plain of Shinar and dwelt there. And they said one to another, come, go, let us make brick. This is where they discovered how to make brick and stone. Going down to verse 4, and they said, go to, let us build a city and a tower that the top may reach unto heaven. And what? Let us make a name. They wanted to make a name. They wanted to build a tower. It had no utility whatsoever for any people on earth. There was no purpose in the building of the tower except to make a name. You see that? They wanted the tower, and they were using the discovery of bricks not to help others, not to use their environment to bless other people. They had only one intention, and it was totally illicit. Because ego is illicit. Hello, I said ego is illicit. Self-esteem is what God gives, but ego is illicit. God wants to give us self-esteem, not ego. Hello, I said God wants to give us self-esteem, not ego. Okay, so here we see that they're not using this tower for anything except for a name. Okay. But we see that Abraham, who comes out of this area, he comes out of this place, and we're not going to go through the, what um, the commentaries tell us about Abraham and Terah, his father, uh, Nahor, his brother, and his youngest brother, Haran, how they left uh, Ur of the Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan, but stopped in Padam Aram, Syria, and did not continue the journey. All right, we're not going to tell you why, but um, at that particular time, Nimrod, who was the chief idolater on the earth, um, was um, really, we, we need to understand, was very much opposed to Abraham spreading love of one God. Do you all see that? All right, so God is calling Abraham out. And we are seeing in chapter, chapter 12 now, God is saying, I'm going to make your name great. Compared in contrast to the tower builders who want a name, 
But Abraham doesn't want a name. He just wants God's name to be glorified. Are you seeing this? And God is saying, I'm going to do something that's just going to amaze the tower builders. Because the tower builders want their name known. But I'm going to do something with you. I'm going to make your name known throughout the earth. I'm going to make your name great. Hallelujah. And when God makes your name great, hallelujah, it has nothing to do with a secular success. It's so far beyond a secular success. And where does greatness begin? Greatness does not begin in our talents. It doesn't begin in our abilities. It doesn't begin in our who we are, who we know. It begins in the will of God. It begins in total abandonment to the will of God in all things. Abraham, Leclica, go to your true self. Get out of that family. Get out of that background. Get out of that house. And go to a land that I will show you. Do you see this? Okay. Now we're going to see Sarah. Drum roll. This was the whole purpose tonight. All to this one little point. My goodness. The whole night. The whole night. All right. Verse 4, and Abraham departed. Go ahead, my dear prophet Philip, 4 and 5. So Abraham, Abram, excuse me, so Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 and 5 years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. All right. Let's look at verse 5. Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered and all the souls that they had gotten. Okay, I'm going to teach you Torah right now, okay? I'm going to teach you how to study Torah. Okay, we study Torah by details. Can you say that? We study Torah by details. Okay, first we see the Bible is telling us that Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered and all the souls that they had gotten. First of all, I will tell you what this means. All the souls that they had gotten is not the proper interpretation. The actual verb that is used here in Hebrew is the verb aseh, which means to make. So they departed with all the substance they had gathered and all the souls that they had made. They made souls in the land of Haran. What does that mean? Hallelujah. That means that they developed them, that they were one thing in them, but it didn't become that particular. Excellent. Okay, first of all, what the Torah wants to do is the Torah wants to make a distinction. The Torah is making a distinction here. That the, notice the scripture does not say all the substance they had gathered and all the people they had gathered. No. Mm -mm. 
It's not exactly. It's not saying all the people they had gathered and all the, first it says all the wealth or substance or rakush, all the wealth that they had gathered and all the people they had gathered. The Torah is not saying that. The Torah is saying all the wealth that they had gathered, but all the souls that they had made. So we need to understand that first of all, that the Torah is not teaching us about numbers here because the Torah is extremely ambiguous about how many souls they got because the emphasis is not on the numbers, although there must have been a massive amount of souls that have already converted to one God. Are you with me? But the Torah here is not identifying the number. It is being very ambiguous. And it's telling us there was a great amount of rakush, a great amount of wealth. And so therefore, what the scripture is teaching us is that it is not about the people they gathered. It is not about the numbers of people they converted. The Torah is using specific language. Notice it's not calling the people people. It's calling the people souls. souls. So that, first of all, we need to understand that the Torah is specifically referring to the work of Abraham and Sarah together as making souls, meaning converts. So we must understand that the Torah is making a distinction between the word person and the word soul, that the persons that are souls are converted individuals, and the persons that are people are not. Are you hearing this? That's the Torah's language here. Are you seeing the Torah's language? Okay, so this means Sarah converted the women and Abraham converted the men. Okay, but the souls they had made. Do you realize what's happening here? This is the infrastructure, souls they had made. This is the infrastructure for the nation that they're going to found. The infrastructure of the, of the people that are going to be called later Israel because the land of Canaan is the ancient name for Israel. Do you all understand? So they are forming the nation, and how are they doing that? They are doing this through their lifestyle, through their character traits. Are you with me? They are doing this through their behavior because there are character traits God uses and character traits God refuses. Say it with me. Character traits God uses and character traits God refuses. There are some character traits that are absolutely incompatible with destiny. You don't want to mess up your own miracle. There are people who speak in tongues and are, are despicable in their behavior. That does not get you a free pass to destiny because you speak in tongues. And you are talking from a classical charismatic, Pentecostal charismatic. I've seen them all, know them all from the last generation. Y'all understand what I'm talking about. All right, so we have to understand, saints, what the Bible is teaching us here because we've come too far to be denied destiny now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
So the Torah specifically is emphasizing that a convert is a person referred to as a soul. That means the spark of Torah has come into them. Hello. This is the governing identity of their personhood when they are converted. So this is why it does not say all the people that they had gathered, all the souls they had made. Sarah's making souls. Abraham is making souls, hallelujah, through their lifestyle. Okay, are you seeing this? All right, so let us look and just see, first of all, what, how did this actually happen? Notice this is a foreshadowing. The foreshadowing of those who will be new creation in Christ. This is the foreshadowing of those who will become born again. They will become brand new, okay? And their souls will come alive when they are born of the Spirit. Do y'all see that? Okay, so let us conclude tonight. Oh, we're going to conclude with one of the tests of Abraham. Hmm. And the tests of Sarah, who was right with her husband. All right, let's look at one of the most profound tests of Abraham. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 13. And we are also going to see in this test that his son Isaac also was tested. Actually, go with me for one moment to Genesis 6, uh, 26. I believe God would have us start there, just really quick before we close. Genesis 26. Okay, this is called, you know, you have to understand things about Torah. Okay, one of the greatest Rebitsons that ever lived her name was Esther Jung Rice. And one thing she taught was that Torah is about repetition or putting something on replay again. You know what replay is? It's like, have you ever watched uh, the Super Bowl and they put a little commercial up there and they say replay? Then you just see that, that particular thing that happened on the football field. Hopefully it's not some kind of a crazy move that somebody made on the football field. Y'all see that? Okay, so Torah is all about that. Okay, I want you to understand. Particularly in the book of Genesis, in the 26th chapter, you're going to see what's going on here. This is exactly what happened to Abraham. Everything, all these tests are happening to Isaac that happened to Abraham. Notice what the text is teaching. There was, go ahead, read verses 1 through 3. And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I will tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee and will bless thee. For unto thee and to unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham. Okay, what is happening here is that there is a famine. Where did we see this before? We also saw there was a famine in the time of Abraham, wasn't there? Now we're seeing a famine in the time of Isaac, because the Bible is showing us that now Isaac is going to go through similar testings as his father. All right, and so there is a test, but this time the test is not to, to go down to Egypt the way his father did. The Lord says, dwell in this land. You mean right here where the famine is? Yes, right here. Trust me, right here in this land. You all see that? 
So he's dwelling there with all of his substance. Can you imagine? God is saying, stay here in this land where there's a famine. And you have a tremendous amount. You have so many goods, so many cattle, so much gold, so much silver that the Philistines envy you. And even the king commands that he move away, go back into the back country. We can't bury you. You're too rich. And so how did God level that out? Okay, Abraham and Isaac sojourned in tents. What does that mean, they sojourned? It means they went from place to place. They sojourned. Now, they should have settled. To settle is to dwell in the land and to build yourself, your name, when you settle. With all that wealth and all of those servants and all of the um, gold and silver, it would only seem right to settle somewhere, wouldn't it? They had the ability to settle more than anyone else. They were the wealthiest people in the whole territory. But they did not settle on purpose because God told them not to settle, to sojourn. Why? So that in sojourning, this is part of taking the territory of Canaan, that the little people who were in the land would not be oppressed or crushed or intimidated by their wealth, that they would not take the territory by their means, outer means of being able to intimidate the little people by their wealth and thus surrender their territory over to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do y'all see that? God said, you're going to sojourn. You're going to be in a humble place with this wealth. And you're going to go from place to place. And what they were to do with that wealth was to relieve the oppressed and to walk in integrity, to walk purely, and to walk in integrity. Do y'all see that? All right, now we can go for our final, I'm not going to go any further on this. God just wanted us to go there. We have two minutes left, so I'm going to go quickly to Genesis 13. All right. Genesis 13, very quickly as they're turning, go ahead, Prophet Philip, read verses 1, verses 1 and 2. And then we'll go to verse 6. And Abram went out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lowered with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south of Bethel unto the place where his tent. Okay, just stopping right there. He didn't have to journey. If he would have settled, he would have become king wherever he settled. Do y'all understand? He could have been ruler wherever he settled because he was well, he was wealthy enough and influential enough that wherever he settled, he's automatically king. He takes over. Do you see that? But he's moving so that the people are in shock. How can a man who is so prestigious, how can a man with so much wealth, how can a man with so much, um, so much dignity and honor live like, like a Bedouin, just go from place to place? This is unbelievable. Okay, do you see that? Yes. 
They made themselves strangers in the land that is going to become their land. They already had the promise from God, this is your land. They already had the promise from God, this is your inheritance. But they didn't go in and say, God promised me this land, so give it to me. No, they're going to take it by Kedusha. They're going to take it by holiness. They're going to take it by raising up the name of God and God's reputation. Do you understand? Say this with me. They're doing it by raising up the reputation of God's name. Come on, they're doing it by raising up the reputation of God's name. Kiddush Hashem. Say it with me, Kiddush Hashem. You seen that? You seen it? All right, now watch this one. This is, this is it right here. Verse six, go ahead. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. Okay, I'm going to stop there. The land was not able to bear them. The actual shot is, that's exactly the truth. The land, the land couldn't take their wealth. They were just too wealthy. They were so, they were, they're, they're, the, the land couldn't take it. That's the shot on it. But let's go a little deeper. This word, the land could not bear them. This word is the word nasa, meaning the land could not be lifted up. The land could not be elevated when Lot and Abraham were together. Why? Because Lot did not have the same, the same wholeheartedness that Abraham had. He had some ways left like the family that he departed from. His ways were not totally righteous. And he used his wealth to oppress the poor. This is going me to mess up the whole miracle right here. Because the whole purpose is the little man is to be honored by Abraham's wealth and Abraham's dignity Abraham's honor, Abraham's glory, Abraham's presence. And guess what Lot's going to do? Lot is going to use that wealth to oppress the poor. He's going to use it to oppress them, to demand that they submit to allowing his cattle to go on their property without paying them. Watch. Verse 7. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite, why is the Torah telling this? We already know the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwell in the land. We already know that, don't we? We're in the land of Canaan. Why is the Torah telling us this? Don't we already know it? The Torah is telling us these little people were dwelling in the land, the Canaanite and the Perizzite. And now there's a strife going on. And what is the strife over? The strife is over the tremendous amount of herd that Lot has that he allows to cross into the borders and the fields of the Canaanite and the Perizzite. And they are so intimidated. He is oppressing them by his wealth and status. His position is to 
now oppress the poor. And Abraham, Abraham's servants say, our master is not going to do this. This is not who our master is. This is not the house of Abraham. And they're not even intimidated that it's Lot's herdsmen. Notice these men are so righteous. When you say, wow, these are Lot's, these are his, his nephews, uh, his nephew's uh, herdsmen. So I don't think I can say anything. What if I lose my job? Because I have stood up to Abraham's herdsmen. Or Lot's herdsmen. Because Lot's his little sweet nephew. And the only reason Lot has this wealth in the first place is because he's the apple of uncle's eye. Do y'all see that? Yes. So what about these herdsmen? These herdsmen are pretty righteous, aren't they? Yes. Aren't they true servants? Because they are defending the way that Abraham would do it, and they yes. don't care that perhaps these herdsmen could lie to Lot, make up a big story. And if they for one moment thought that Abraham was controlled by anyone, that even his nephew could control him a little bit, they wouldn't open their mouth. Would they? Do you know somebody that's controlled by another person? They're mean. And the other person's so intimidated, they don't say anything. And so they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to cause problems. Do you see this? They don't want to cause any problems because that perhaps that person is controlled by the person controlling everybody. So they just keep their mouth shut. But not the herdsmen of Abraham. You know why? Because they knew Abraham was righteous. And they knew that if a poor little person came with a little plea, He's not going to say, well, my nephew, how dare you do this to my nephew? He's not going to do that. He's going to say, what? To the Canaanite? To the Parasite? We're going from village to village, not oppressing them with our wealth, establishing that we own this place because God gave it to us by promise. We're not lording over these people. And Lot is demanding that his cattle just overlook the rights of these poor and invade their property and treat them as if they're just dirt. So they told him, this is why the land could not bear them. Because the Kedusha could not be raised. Sometimes God is holding back a destiny. Because there's somebody in the in the place that's just messing the whole vision up. Hello, somebody. I said, somebody's messing up the whole vision. Did you hear me? I said, somebody could be held up because there's a little lot somewhere holding up the whole vision. Did you hear me? Are you hearing it? What does Abraham do? He doesn't go and rebuke Lot. He already knows this is this is impossible. This is this is not this is non-negotiable. Oppressing somebody 
is non-negotiable. There's no getting out of it. You can tell me a thousand excuses. No, Abraham already knows he's got Navua. He's got prophecy. He is a prophet, Genesis 20, verse 7. So we must understand there is no negotiation on certain things with Abraham, and oppressing the poor is one of them. So he very kindly says, let there be no strife between me and thee because we are brothers. That in itself is a whole teaching. If you go to the right, behold, the whole land is before you. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. And if you go to the left, I will go to the right. The whole land is before you. But let us separate ourselves. Notice he did it so peaceful. He did it without any strife. But there's no, why did you do this? There's no, could you please just give me an answer about this? There's no, maybe I heard it wrong. There's no, oh, we got to just cover up uh, Lot's behavior and pretend he didn't do it, shut our eyes to it. No. No negotiation. Did you hear me? There are some things there are no negotiation on. You just can't. This was a test. Notice, as soon as it was over, Lot separated. Verse 14, notice what happens. The vision comes back. Say this with me. I want the vision back in Rosh Hashanah. Say anything that's been blocked up in my destiny. If there's anybody in my midst or anything I've attached myself to that God is saying time to cut the cord, child, then I will do it in the name of Jesus. Notice. And the Lord said to Abram after Lot was separated from him, lift up now your eyes from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website, mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.